0: All right. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Joshua, how are you today?
1: Thanks, Sean. I'm doing good today. It's uh, it's a great day to be alive. And I'm so excited. So, Sean, how's 2018 for you?
0: Going very well. Uh, it's a very exciting. You know, this year is going to be very, um, you know, I'm very optimistic about the great challenges and possibilities we have this year. And uh, I wanted to give a special thank you to all the listeners. Give a shout out to all listeners from Canada, across the world. Uh, We have a lot of listeners from the United States, you know, California, New Hampshire, Washington, Delaware. I can't even say I can't even say all the places that we've had listeners from. And we're very appreciative. And if we didn't shout you out, please uh, write us, say hi to us. And uh, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 2018 is going to be big. We have a lot of great guests coming up and like the one we're going to have very soon and uh, might as well get into it. Her name is Melissa Lyons. She is the author of the picture book, I Will Always Love You. The words of the book came with no warning or conscious planning when she was on an island in Thailand. Melissa is passionate about comforting, healing, and cultivating a mindset that allows us to get the most out of our experiences. Her mission is to share the joy and freedom that is created when we live in the moment and consciously choose our thoughts and reactions. So you can uh, learn more about Melissa and the work she does at www.choosetochose.today. So that's choose to choose dot today. Choose to T O choose. So not the number two. Okay. I'm sitting next to Joshua Black and he's laughing aloud uh, because what was that, Sean? I missed that. Can you say it one more time? Choose to choose dot
1: today. Um, So Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Melissa, it's good to sort of talk to you again. We met actually very recently in November. Uh, You came to this Greek Network Network Niagara thing that I'm a part of. And it was the first time I met you. And you, you read this story and a lot of people started crying. And it was so beautiful, beautifully written. And you just have such a beautiful soul that, you know, we really wanted to get you on this podcast to talk about it and to talk about just your life journey and how you became such a loving person.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you and be part of this.
1: So is this your, I I saw you on CBC radio. Is this your first podcast? I know you're getting famous.
2: (laughs) This is my first (laughs) podcast ever.
1: Yes. Oh, no way. Wow. Well, welcome.
2: (laughs) It's very exciting.
1: So thank you for coming on. Seriously. Yeah, well that's the the beauty of this platform. We get to talk to people that haven't maybe had an experience with the podcast. So, I'm just happy to be able to talk to you. So, first things first, let's go back to the beginning of your journey. Like did you ever want to write a a children's book or were your your life plans in something else?
2: No, actually it's not anything I ever really thought about. My my life plan was was certainly not anywhere in the creative arts in terms of a profession. So, it's all new to me. And, and like I said, it's exciting, and I, and I like it more than I ever thought I could like anything.
1: Yeah, because on your website, um, I'm just reading it here. Uh, it says under your bio, uh, reflecting upon uh, her early years, she recognizes that she sought to please and conform to the expectations of others. So like in the earlier, because this whole like the book, which we'll talk about, it really speaks to that in a lot of ways. But in your earlier years, what was life like? in the sense of, you know, conforming to other people's expectations?
2: I think most of my life I spent doing what you were supposed to do, you know, go to school, never miss a day of school, do your homework, get a job, do an undergrad, maybe do a master's degree, get married, pick up a nice, juicy mortgage, have children, keep working until you retire. And that sounds I fun. That <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's kind of the pattern for a big percentage like of the world, and maybe I, I, I might, I. It might have made it sound a little bit more than it than it is, but I think that most people fall into that that pattern and I did. And um it never quite fit. It was never enough. Um even when I had seemingly everything, there was just something empty inside and I, I no one could figure it out, like least of all me, what was wrong or what was missing.
1: So did you get good grades in school? Yeah. Yeah. I did
2: well enough to 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 go through school, you know, like I, that pleaser mentality, is yeah. the person who raises their hand and does all the things. And I had fun, and I and I certainly enjoyed my life. Don't get me wrong that way, but um, I did all the things that you were supposed to do to make your parents proud and to make your parents be able to tell their 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 friends, oh, this is what my child did, and you know, like that kind of a thing. Versus just doing what really made me feel like I came alive. I don't even think I was in touch with with what made me feel. Maybe come alive because I never took the time to even ask myself what it was I wanted. I just knew what I needed to do, and I think that's like a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think especially as children, our world is our parents, you know, and to please them is to get that reinforcement to feel loved. Like that's what you know. I think we're longing for in many ways, and as we mature, we start. We can, uh, over time, see a different side of that, and what we what we truly love, and what we truly desire. And so, it's very interesting. So, did you do an undergrad then? Because you mentioned uh, undergrad and masters.
2: Yeah, I did an undergrad in business and um, at University of Ottawa. Hmm. And when I was finished, that I was encouraged to do my masters because you could go farther with another piece of paper. <laughs>
1: Don't knock the piece of paper. I'm uh, trying to get another one.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on it depends on what you want to do. You know, once I hit the corporate world, which was what I needed my paper for, I didn't want to be there. I didn't know that till I got there. So yeah, I'm certainly not knocking it. It's just it, it, I never really thought about it. I just did it because I was supposed to.
0: Yeah, um, I kind of have a similar path. I, I oddly enough, I actually went to University of Ottawa as well. But um, oh. yeah, I but. I kind of had that feeling as well where going through school and then finishing school i kind of had this you know you have this mentality of okay what's next what's on my what am i supposed to do now and then again the the stresses and pressures if you will of finding a career you know getting out of school debt if diving deep into the working world but you know along the way i kind of developed you know all these Other pressures came aboard and personal pressures of, man, I don't feel fulfilled and it just doesn't really jive with kind of the things that make me happy. Did you have any kind of maybe hints growing up or, or, you know, maybe your teenage years where you kind of, you know, had these things that maybe you did fulfill you and and maybe gave you that kind of uh, experience as to what down the road might be more fulfilling for you?
2: That's such a great question, because the answer to that is yes and no. I think that I did have hints all the way through, but did I notice them? No. So looking back on it, and especially after after reading the book, and maybe this is like what Joshua was talking about as well, after reading the book and it says, pay attention to each sight and each sound, it's like we're all getting hints all around us all the time. It's just whether or not we're open to them and paying attention. So yeah, I can see them all the way back to when I was 12, but i sure didn't see them until I was 50. (laughs) So they didn't help much then.
1: Wow. So when you're, so let's move forward and you're in the business thing, you graduate. So did you, was your first career then business related?
2: Yeah. I was in corporate finance with the Royal bank and I had a, a pretty amazing job and an amazing opportunity. It just, didn't fit me. There was yeah. nothing wrong with it. It was it was me. I didn't fit.
1: And how long were you in that job?
2: I did that for about three years, and then I I, I left that and I started a small um, small business, uh, not for profit uh, fundraising uh, or fundraising for not for profits, which lasted about eight months until I had to start waitressing an MBA with waitressing again um, for about a year till I could actually get a job uh, back in the corporate world because I just. I wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur at that time. I think I still needed to work with a mentor and I was still figuring a lot of things out. So, yeah.
1: It's interesting. So it's been a very, I guess you say even rocky journey, because you're in, you're out and you're trying to get back in and you're still, I said, same time trying to figure out where your passion lies. And I think that's the issue when you have a degree in, in something, especially, you know, you get, you get sort of told like after high school, you have to pick a topic to study. And you don't really know what your passion is. And just the calling hasn't got through yet, I guess is the best way to put it. And so you have this degree, but then what do you do, right? You have to stay with that unless you do something really crazy and have a lot of courage to change. So what gave you the courage to then change course?
2: Well, the first time um, when when I left the Royal Bank and started to, I started my own business. I had a husband, so my husband, he was very supportive of that. I can't say he enjoyed the journey, so he hasn't enjoyed all the journeys I've been on, but he's been really supportive. So, you know, and then it becomes a financial thing sometimes, too. So when it didn't make it, then I, I went into pharmaceuticals for 11 years, and I really did enjoy that. But again, it didn't fit. There was just something missing the whole time, all the way through.
0: Yeah, it's also, um, you know, society doesn't really set you up uh, too well for Tra- changing jobs like i mean like you 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 have all this like, education experience in one field and you've kind of worked your way up and if, if you want to change like you know that's not an easy transition unless you're in similar fields and yeah i kind of know that feeling as well where you're at a certain level and you're doing this but you know at the back of your head there's always that thing and you did it twice actually which is amazing but <laughs> but the second time, you know, what made you leave your pharmaceutical job? Because I mean it sounds pretty good. You you seem to have liked it. You know, what gave you that kind of push to say, okay, this is my time?
2: I think just just knowing that there was something missing. And and it's funny because the same but it's a pattern it repeats because even when I, I left that and I decided I decided to start um a medical aesthetics type of business and I thought I would do it part time. My children were young, I would stop traveling because I traveled a lot. And I, I started it in my home, and that lasted, you know, I was in my home for a couple of months, and I hired someone, and I hired someone else, and before long, I was renting someone else's space in their home, and there were four employees, and then within a year and a half, we bought a building, and then it was this it turned into like a, a, an 18 person full-time, 18 people working full-time, as a full-service medical spa. So it went from, I think I'll just stay home and do something easy and be near my children, to that like almost overdriven to the point where it wasn't fun anymore either. It still wasn't coming close to making me feel fulfilled, even though it was successful, it wasn't fulfilling.
1: So I think it's interesting how our callings come from trying different things. You know, like you've tried this, people said this, maybe I'll do this, and you're still something still was missing. I think that's kind of a beautiful statement to say that, you know, it's okay to try different things, but just keep listening to see, you know, was this what, you know, where my calling is? And it seems like it kept pushing you to something else. So I know I read in your book or read in your, I think your book or website, where you said you took three months off. So could you talk about that, that transition?
2: Yeah, that was one of the most wonderful things ever. When I sold my business in 2014, uh, I, I decided to take three months off just to figure out what, like, what is it that I really want? And I had to just touch back on the fulfilling thing. Like, being married was fulfilling, having children. My like, you goodness, know, that's one of the most fulfilling roles you'll ever, if people who are parents, you, you relate to the fact that it is, it is that thing that you can't describe. But there's still, at the end of the day, that, that there's something inside, that je ne sais quoi inside of all of us that, that some people seem to get and some people just don't get. That's the part we're talking about here. And so I wanted that three months to see, like, what is that empty space? And, yeah, it turned into 30 uh, it's a whole lot of meditating, tons and tons of reading, um, learning to slow down, not not make things happen right away, but allow them to unfold. And that's the biggest lesson that I learned in all of the time, is this allowing of unfolding, not, not forcing the situation to be what I think it should be.
1: Yeah, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> because we always have these expectations about how something should be or what good looks like. And you're saying just, you know, sit back, watch and you don't, you just never know how it's all going to play out. And like, so do you still like, cause that was a little while ago that you got into that. Do you still have moments in, in life where you try to plan things out and like feel that anxiety again?
2: Yeah, um, I do. I, I definitely do. And even just the day, like as a perfect example, after the CBC interview, the book sold out on Amazon So I I immediately thought that was poor planning. I didn't do this right. And I thought of all the things because I should have had like my methodical business mind should have had all these things in place, which is not what I'm doing now. I'm just sort of reacting and and doing things on an intuitive level. And then it turns out that selling out of the books actually raised more awareness and allowed me to hand deliver and personalize things this year. I can do that. And it gave me so much more of an opportunity to make it be even better. And so I find that... um, I still go backwards and feel anxious and then I realized that it was the best thing that could have happened. So just trusting, that's, that's the thing. Like just trust that everything will unfold like divine timing regarding, regardless of what you think your divine will come from, that divine timing really does look out for us if we trust in it, even when it feels like it's not
0: right. That's very interesting what you said, because um, it, it, it has me thinking of maybe having to play different hats or different sides. Like, you know, the businesswoman uh, versus maybe you know more of a writer, more of a spiritual person. Like, how do you balance all that?
2: Well, this time around, I'm. I'm it's actually almost an experiment. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book *The Surrender Experiment*. I'm trying to think. Michael Singer wrote it. He and it was a sequel to. Uh, It'll come to me in a minute. Uh, but anyway, it's about just allowing things to unfold and and just trusting it. And so you, you balance it out by trusting that. It will be okay, no matter what happens. Even if it's not a good thing that happens, somehow something will come in and make it be what it needs to be and make it right. Oh, The Untethered Soul. So The Untethered Soul and then The Surrender Experience, those two books really talk about allowing things to just be. And then you're there to, to respond versus you don't guide it, it guides you, whatever it is.
1: I think it's... You're right,
2: it's entirely opposite.
1: And I think, as a mother, as a parent, that's very difficult to do because I think you know when you envision your kids, you want the best for them, and you have this vision already on like what that means. And to is it hard to surrender to your kids?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it's hard to surrender to your children when you've got two parents that might not think the same way, even though you're together in everything you think, but the way you think isn't the same. So that's even harder. But my kids are lucky because they've watched me go through all of these things and change so many times and I think that I mean maybe they're unlucky too I don't know but I think at least it gives them the opportunity to say well you did it so I can kind of thing and I'm glad I don't want them to get stuck doing something that doesn't fulfill their heart and soul
0: what I'm trying to get at in terms of the question of different sides like do you strategically put in place throughout your day certain things um that'll maybe bring you more spiritual or get you on that level of having the patience and being able to be calm and supportive if you will because you know it just seems like in in, with every anybody you know it's very easy to go off the handle like let's for example like let's say you're driving and you're going (laughs) you're going a distance and you got to sit in traffic like you know are you like constantly thinking you know it's okay just let it be or are you just like, do you have to shift your brain from like, if you happen to get emotional about something, do you consciously tell yourself something?
2: Yeah, all the time. It's getting to be more of a habit for me now, so it's getting a lot easier. But no, it's always a conscious, deli- deliberate thinking. For example, I, got, I, I needed to turn off one exit on the highway the other day, and I was cut off, and it was very frustrating because the next exit, exit was a long way away. And so between that exit and the next one, I thought to myself, I wonder why I'm supposed to be on this next road. And then when I got to the next road, I thought about something that I needed to do. And it, ups. it like it, it just all worked out. And this happens like every day, like, I don't know if it's serendipity or synchronicity. Either way, like, if you just let yourself say, okay, why did that just happen? Why am I here? And then all of a sudden, it's it just a whole, you have a whole new perspective to see. And your day can go in a completely different way. And somehow I think you're being guided there or it wouldn't have happened. And so the frustration of being cut off became what a great opportunity that was.
0: I see. So before maybe you get emotional, before you allow the, uh, maybe frustration or anger to get a hold of you you, you, you pause and you think maybe, okay, well, let me see if there's something beneficial out of this or some other direction I need to take. So you alleviate kind of those negative emotions that way.
2: Yeah, I, I pause or trust. There's something guiding me. It's like it's like I was just not supposed to do that. Okay, and I mean sometimes you're late for an appointment, so it is frustrating. But you just got to trust that that was supposed to happen because it did. It's already too late to fix it, right? So it did. So trust it.
0: Oh, that's great, and you're right. Uh, like to have a mindset like that, you you know, it obviously requires practice. You know, it requires uh, yeah. catching yourself and, and knowing yourself you know, your thoughts throughout the day. And that's all a part of it. Uh, I want to get into this book, you know, because obviously, we want to talk about it. But um, how did it come to be?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> it's the truth. Like, I, I've been trying to journal in my three months to 30 months, I was I was told to journal. And to me, that's like, my journaling some days will consist of telephone, pen, book, chair, tree, and I'll just write words that I see because I don't have any connection to Anything creative, or at least I didn't, and I was sort of doing that that day just to start thinking about what I could possibly journal about as I had a few hours to spare sitting there, and then all of a sudden I'm, the book just flowed and came right out in one page.
1: Can you speak a little bit more like did it you just came out or like was there pauses like what exactly happened there? were you on a yeah. like where where were you like in the in the studio at Starbucks?
2: Yeah, no, we were on we were on Sari Beach, um, which is on the island of Koh Tao in Thailand, and we've been there for we were there for only for a week, but we ended up staying two weeks because there were it was horrendous weather and the island had completely flooded and roads were washed away and it was really it was a bit devastating actually. We had to walk through um, waist high water with cuts on our feet, carrying our bags just to get to another place to stay. So. It was it wasn't your typical Thailand beautiful relaxing getaway, and um, I was just just sitting there having some tea and a crepe and just thinking reflecting. I actually earlier that morning to to actually, to answer one of your earlier questions, I was really frustrated because the internet wasn't working and and we had internet with our room and I went to complain a little bit and chat with a guy at the at the front desk and he looked at me and he said, I understand your frustration. My family doesn't know I'm alive. I'm not able to call them, <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, like, you know, our, our big problems are so small to what other people are facing, right, and um, that, that happened the morning of, of the book coming out, too, so I think all of a sudden, I had this realization, just sitting there, how lucky I was, even though it was less than perfect, it was more than perfect, and maybe that that helped set the stage for the words to come flowing out like that.
0: Sounds like it, you know, being, especially being in Thailand, you know, you're separated by distance, by all this space. And sometimes when you go on vacation and you're far away from, you know, people you're used to seeing, you do feel worlds apart. And, and, you know, I could just see that that feeling kind of led into like, well, you know, maybe we should write a book about our you know loved ones (laughs) maybe this is a good time to kind of think in in those higher you know echelon type of thoughts you know sitting in the mundane you know just having a crepe and a coffee maybe this is the time for me to kind of think about something higher
2: maybe but when I read the words so after it was done and I have to say like I came home and edited it I needed to add a few pages to make the book work but so it was probably 80 percent as 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 it reads in the book, and we we had to change some things and move some things around, but the book itself, when I wrote it, when I write, I always make mistakes when I'm writing, like I'll write that and my my E will be an O or something like that will be wrong. Uh, When I went back and looked at it, again, this is months later looking back at that original paper, there were no mistakes on the page. And that is really rare, too. So there was something really not normal about the whole experience.
1: Yoda would say you were tapped into the force. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched only a Yoda.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think, yeah, you're right. When you're tapped into that place that is very unfamiliar for a lot of reasons because we're so busy and so life gets so hectic. But it seems like you're tapped into something that was very loving and it came out different than what you used to, like you no know, spelling mistakes and all the whole story. You're not just writing down words, like coffee and beans and sea and water <laughs> actually yeah they had full sentences that rhymed and you're like whoa what's going on here so when you wrote it and then you realized what you wrote what did you do did you just read it over and over did you tell someone like how did like what happened after that
2: well I read it over and over and kept thinking wow like what is this and
1: you're impressed with yourself like whoa
2: I took a picture uh, and this is actually interesting on my phone um I have thousands of pictures on my phone, but the last three digits of the, the picture number on my phone when I took it, because I thought, what if my journal gets lost now? I think this is important. I don't know why. And it was 444. That's the number, that's the number on my phone that the picture randomly came in at, like, you know, one thousand four 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 or something like that. I thought that was kind of interesting if you follow neurology at all.
1: Yeah, numbers have been a big part in a lot of people's lives. And I think it just adds to the mystery of this world. And if you can find it as uh, a clue or give you hope that this is something special, I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it it was neat. But so when my husband came out of the water, he looked at me like something was like, he could tell something wasn't quite right. And he asked me if I was okay. And I told him that I thought I had written a book. And you can now that you know my journey. By now, he's like, "What now?" <laughs> like here we go again. <laughs> yeah. And so I asked him if I could read it to him, and he said yes. And I actually wasn't able to read it. If, if you've heard me say that before, I, it was it was a long time till I could get those words out because I couldn't say them out loud, even though I could read them. I couldn't actually say them out loud. It was physically impossible, and that I don't understand either.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just I have the book in my hand and, uh, you know, I read it a little bit earlier. It's a very powerful thing. It's personal as well. And so like saying this, especially thinking about or reading it to someone that you love, man, I could see how someone can get emotional and teary eyed about this. You know, you're talking about essentially it's it's kind of like a goodbye love letter uh, almost. And I mean, in my brain. And I think it's something that will stay with, especially a young person, but anybody who reads this. So yeah, awesome.
1: And then Thank the you, title. I so did you, did the title come first or was it after you read the story that you put the title in?
2: Yeah, the title was a tough one, actually. I, I don't even know how many titles I went through before we came up with that one. Even Even now, I know it's the right title, but it's not the most ideal title for the internet because <laughs> when you search it all you get is in Houston which I love I loved her too
0: oh but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that but you know what it's, yeah it's a book it, it's a title that again you know if if it just said I will love you I don't think you know it's missing something but to say always connects with that afterlife kind of theme and uh, a loss. So yeah, it's it's a very uh, powerful title.
2: Yeah, I agree. And you know, I've had um, I've had a few other things that have come up since then. Um, the other day, a woman who was revo- divorced and going through her first Christmas, and she wasn't the, the the party that wanted to be taking part in the divorce at all. She read it and she told me that she found that it was really helpful to her from the point of view of of her getting through her divorce, and she wanted to give it to her children. So again, I can't speak of that personally, but that's what she had said to me, that it meant so much to her from that point of view. And then another woman who worked for years at Children's Aid and went on to have a very high-profile legal career said that she thought that for children in Children's Aid who've, who've been taken away or separated from their parents or parents who've been put into prison, for example, um, it would be very helpful. It doesn't have to be lost, not necessarily death.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the beauty of how you wrote it. It can apply to anyone's circumstances that you know deals with loss or someone going away and it can help in that journey and so you you said some positive comments uh from that so uh have you heard like other things that from children because you've heard uh, a lot of stuff you're getting from adults How really positive it is. has anyone actually read, read it to the books to their children or have you gave it to some children and see what they thought or your own children yeah
2: i i, I have i have done that and um I get beautiful things back. There was one um, one 13-year-old, when she was 12, turning 13 that week, and the things that she said to me I I actually couldn't use because they were so um, articulate. She articulated it so well that I don't think people would believe that they were actually original from her. But she felt that she had this sense of comfort. Um, She had lost a friend in a horrific car crash um, two years ago. Um, and so she was on her way to dance class with her siblings when they found out that her friend had this had happened to her friend and she'd lost her. And she feels that like she, the comfort of knowing that she's around her wasn't something she had thought about so deeply and that she felt immediately like she wasn't alone or that Gabby wasn't far away from her anymore.
1: That's amazing. It's got to be amazing for you to get that feedback give you more motivation to continue because i know it can be a lonely road as an author or someone pursuing your own passions because a lot of times people don't understand your work understand your feelings on on what it is it's like you can try to explain it through words but there's just something else that's you can't use words for that's given you that passion and that motivation that you said like you've been searching for your whole life and this seems to be part of this journey of yours i think that's amazing and it's amazing you know for what you're doing for others in the book i want to sort of say i was reading uh the book also today and i looked at the title and it says i will always love you and i thought we had a, a woman on here ashley uh, in her earlier episodes of the podcast she talked about affirmations i think as much as the book is for if someone leaves i think it's also good just those words to maybe even say to yourself because a lot of times you know we're worse critics so like if you wake up every day and say i all like in the mirror and say, I will always love you to yourself. I think that's a powerful statement in in its own. And I'm like, wow, just like how beautiful that is. It's such simple words, but it has such a huge impact as Shalom was saying.
2: I agree. I agree. A lot of people tell me that they read the book like once a day or they read it like, like it becomes more of a a ritual, which again, you know, you you don't always know what to anticipate. You don't know how people are going to respond. I'm so moved and touched when people tell me about how how it makes them feel and what they do,
1: how they use it. Wow. Okay. So uh, we're gonna ask some uh, we wrote some passages that I think spoke to us, and we're just wondering if you could maybe talk a little about you know what they what it means to you and um, and maybe a memory or something on on that certain quote. So the first one is I have one last wish, and it's part of a theme. It's you choosing to choose to follow your dreams, and I was actually perplexed on your website until I read that. So that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, choosing to choose is your website, and I didn't know where because I, I oh, thought it would be more was, okay. like right. Yeah. Um. But for this one, so choosing your own dreams. So can you speak on that?
2: Well, I think that what happens. In my feeling is that when people are are struggling with grief, and I, again, I haven't researched this and I haven't like learned it. It's just what I know in my heart and what has come to me from different meditations and things like that is that people decide that they have to live for the person who's no longer here. For example, a tradition of, of wearing a certain color of clothing where, where the life on earth becomes part of the death. And I think the choosing to choose is about saying like, please, please move on. Like live in my honor kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. Cause after my father died, I wanted to, sounds kind of crazy. I wanted to go to Israel, like drop out of school, go to Israel, spend every dime I had, because that's something he wanted me to do. And that was his dream for us to do. But when he died, I'm like, I'm going to do that, right? <laughs> but and it was great. Uh, I had someone that talked me out of it. Um, but that wasn't my dream. That was just, you know, trying to live his dream for us in a way. And so you're saying, you know, it is you know, like to settle down, like in loss, it's so easy to be, um, to act quickly, but to to just, you know, go back and to sit with your loss, I think the most important thing. And then as you move forward, you can make some of these decisions and figure out what your dreams are. I think I didn't really know because I I talked on this little subject before, um, but my dad wanted me to be elementary school teacher. And so that was the path I had set out since I started university. It was only after he died that I realized I didn't want to do it. Um, and that was because I was doing it for him without even realizing I thought it was my own dream. So I was getting these good grades because I thought I really wanted to be an elementary school teacher, but truth came to light that actually I didn't. So, um, I think that's, you know, that, like when I read that, I'm like, wow, you're right. You know, like it's realizing what your dreams are and what, what dreams are not yours.
2: Yeah. And that's that, I know it's almost like that extra word, the choosing to choose versus saying, just choose your own dream. But no, it's actually more, it's it's more deliberate than that it's more deliberate than just choosing. It's choosing to choose. It's that extra step of really knowing, like you just said, is it yours? And in a way, you've kind of followed what your dad wanted for you. He wanted you to teach. You're just teaching in a different realm, in a different environment, but you are still teaching people, aren't you?
1: Yeah. And that's, I think it's a funny thing um, about this all is I get to do these workshops and to talk about the PhD research on grief dreams that in a way that in have like these workshops and the way and you're teaching others on how to provide a loving space to hear these dreams. And yeah, it's a different kind of teaching. And I think he was so focused on the elementary school teacher because that's what he knew. He didn't know any other speaking. Um, and he liked their pensions, I guess they have good pensions. So <laughs> he was a, he was a planner. He's a money planner. So yeah, at the end of the day, uh, It's very interesting to when you actually look at it full circle. That is, you know, part of my calling is to be able to teach on this subject, just not in a school system.
2: Exactly.
0: All right. So uh, here's the next uh, passage from uh, your wonderful book You hold the power and the answers inside. Turn into your heart. Let it be your guide. So, how do you turn into your heart and how do you let it be your guide?
2: Well, and that's all about quieting the mind, which is something that um, I I had very little success with most of my life. 90, 90, 95% of my life to now, I have not, I've had a very um, busy mind, sometimes tormented. And not that, taking that, the time to quiet your mind, whether it be through prayer, through meditation, through whatever people decide to do to quiet their mind. And when your mind becomes quiet, you actually realize so much more about yourself and what what you do want but i don't think you can ever hear it until you become quiet and so that's why i think the kids need to turn into their hearts and listen to them not to what everybody else wants for them or what they think they should be doing to know that they have that kind of power inside
0: awesome so you, like everyday thoughts that kind of like overwhelm people like i for myself for instance um you know i'll go about my day. And I'm thinking my mind will kind of go from place to place to place. Oh, I got to do this at work. And oh, I got to get my uh, oil changed on my car. And I got to do this. And uh, I think quieting sometimes, and it's also the thoughts or the phrases we tell ourselves, like we're not good enough for this or I'm fat or whatever. But like quieting that down, and then listening to the, you know, kind of true self inner core. uh, That's always a little bit more quieter. So you got to turn down the mind. And that voice is different, right?
2: Yeah, it's entirely different, and it's it's a long way away. It's not like, you know, I, I remember after the first three months saying it's not working. <laughs> Why is <laughs> How come I? How come it's not over? I, I didn't get it yet. And it's like, yeah, you can't train for a marathon by doing a couple of one-kilometer races, right? Uh, you have to. It's it's a long. It's, it's an ongoing process. So, it's quieting those minds, and it's also quieting fears, right? Those fears that we don't know about, about making sure we have a pension or how how much, how are we going to have enough money when we're 72? You know, just just be in the moment for the moments that you're doing it. And that journaling can help too, because not everybody can quiet their mind really. So, journaling is a really good way. Even if you are just writing random words, they turn into something eventually.
0: Yeah, you can really drill down to the kind of the maybe overlying meaning behind what you've written because you know again if you're just writing if i'm if i'm just writing something that I, the superficial layers might just be kind of the first thoughts that i'm thinking and then the more you get into the writing the more you'll understand and you can drill down to the core meaning behind it um what is the only word i'm trying to think of some words that kind of come with listening to your heart and I keep, I said it before today, but nourishing. And I think nourishing is a good word to describe maybe thinking that comes from the heart. Uh, what, what other feelings or maybe direction? How does someone know that they've done that?
2: Okay. Well, you know that feeling when your heart feels soft and easy versus it's a little bit racing. Like there's, there's a sense, there's a feeling of a tightness versus an openness. That's one, you can call it your gut. Your gut feeling, but your gut feeling, I think, is, based, is a heart-based feeling. We just use different words for it. Um, that would be one thing. And the other thing is, is that when your heart's telling you something that is positive-based versus fear-based, like, I'm trying to think of an example. It's like your heart, when you're, when you're listening to your heart, everything is about something that's going to happen or could happen that, that could take you to a better place versus trying to protect you from something that's scary, that's when I think you're not really hearing your heart. You're hearing like an ego-based thought that's, that's trying to protect you versus trying to guide you. That's the difference. When you're listening yeah. to your heart, it's actually giving you guidance. When you're listening to something that's actually trying to steer you away from something because of fear, then I think it's more of an ego feeling.
0: That's a great point. And I think um, when you saying the word ego, and, and ego's not a bad thing, you know, mind no. you. Uh, we need our ego for a lot of situations, you know a good example i say that a lot but a good example is the driving one you know we use our ego to drive because it's watching you know our eyes are looking around or scanning you know we're listening whatever whatever we're paying attention um but there can also be obviously a negative consequence to that but no that's a great point that you bring up is that the you know anything from the heart kind of it's it's void of a lot of the ego that comes that that can happen sometimes and and that's the kind of doing things out of fear or doing things out of fright and, and, and kind of running or, or fighting, you know, fight or fight complex, whatever it is. But, uh, no, that's a great point. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, a softening feeling, uh, you know, a very nourished feeling, a warm feeling. And again, like it, hopefully it aligns with kind of, uh, your upper echelon thinking on what, you know, what is good, what is reality and what is uh, moral and wholesome.
2: Yeah, and, and, and be guided
1: by it. All right, so here we go. The third and last book passage. Uh, it says, Welcome your challenges as they appear. Accept them as lessons. There's nothing to fear. So I know we talked a little about the fear. Uh, can you speak more about accepting challenges in in, in someone's life? Or
2: Challenges or obstacles, um, I think, would be the same kind of word. And I think, when I when I talk to my kids and we talk about all the different things that they might go through, and it's like often the thing that's right around the corner from when you're at your lowest or when you're you're the most frustrated is the thing that, that will will give you such a fulfilling um, response. Like it'll be it's what you want. So it's like we have to all learn things, and so just accept it and understand that they're not not to be afraid of. That it's just part of the journey.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to grief, too, it's, you know, that's one of our biggest challenges because it makes us face, you know, our own mortality. It makes us to live a life without the other person uh, around. And I think that's big because we've always, you know, we get a sense of approval from them, we get a sense of love from them. Um, If it's finances, we get, you know, finances from them, a sense of identity. And so all those things now are either gone or changed and you have to start to learn to live yourself, to to live this new life, and I sort of like how you sort of put it. There's nothing to fear, and I think that's what I think blocks a lot of people in their grief journey is just the fear of the unknown of if they can even do it without the person. If they can, who are they without that person? And as you sort of see with a lot of people, once they start going on that journey, they realize um, so much more about what they're capable of and what they can do. And so that fear in the beginning was you know unfounded because they're just a they just didn't know, um, and do you see that also in people around you that have maybe lost others?
2: Yeah, I, I do, and 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 I like when they talk to me about it because, as we said, like I I haven't in my mind experienced any kind of tragic loss that has I've needed something like this myself or my children I haven't gone through it. So when people talk to me about it, it really resonates with me that 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 they needed to hear that they need to understand like. It's, it's okay. You're still going to go through the bumps in the road, but you
1: still got to keep going because it's okay. Well, I think that's that's the main thing with grief is to be able to keep going, to have the desire and motivation to continue to live. Because a lot of times, like the person who dies, is our whole world, um, especially as a spouse or you know even your children. And so you know, like to that to sort of see it, see their loss, and basically in a new way and a new perspective can give people some motivation. I said, there's there's so many little tidbits and clues in your book that can help people in all different aspects of their journey, and that's why that's one thing I really enjoy about grief. It it is so complex, so there's not like a one word answer that you can give someone to heal them or help them. It's like everyone's life is so unique, and everyone's mind and attachments and identity is so unique that it's on a case by case sort of basis. And your book, you know, really sort of speaks to a lot of different cases, which is amazing. And so I know you said that you didn't have any, you know, real personal loss, but have you had any, you know, a loss of uh, animals or, or pets when you were younger or as you move forward in life?
2: Yes, I grew up on a, a farm, so I dealt with a lot of loss as a child for, from an animal-based type of thing, but not um, not humans the same way. Like, I mean, I've lost humans, but it's always been part of the journey, you know what I mean, at the right time and the right, as it was supposed to unfold, but Certainly, a lot of um, animals.
1: And can you speak to some of the the pets you did own, and maybe your relationship with them?
2: Well, we lived on a busy highway, so when we had dogs, we would lose dogs that would be hit by cars on the road. So that would be that was a pretty hard thing as a child, and having to to bear, bring them back in. Like it, you know, probably every child in the world's gone it. You bring them back in. You bury them and you do your little funeral with your family. Um, and, we also had horses that were, that, that died. And so when, sometimes when something's so much bigger than you, I think sometimes that can be daunting.
0: How was, um, how was your relationship when you were younger? And, and how did your parents explain loss? And, and, cause I, I mean, it's uh, from the sounds of it, you guys had funerals for your pets and, you know, that's, that's pretty, I think vital. That's pretty a key part of your life is seeing those processes and for valuing your animals enough to have funerals for them. But how did your parents kind of teach you guys and and talk to you guys about death and loss?
2: I don't remember, interestingly. We we went to Sunday school, so maybe I I learned a lot of it there. Um, And if they did teach me whatever they taught me, I can't I, I can't tell you a specific so thing. That's so they,
0: your parents would have organized the funeral services for your pets, right?
2: Oh well, yeah, you're making it sound more formal than I remember. I like, just remember we'd <laughs> get a shovel and <laughs> take a bowl well, and have well, okay. A so so of
0: letters the, in there. So they so you yeah. buried your pets. You buried your pets, and you had uh, and you you guys said yeah. something.
2: But yeah, but funny. I don't. You got. You're asking me questions I probably haven't thought about for forty years.
1: That's why you came on the podcast, right?
2: My goodness.
1: So you just said you threw letters in there.
2: Yeah, and I remember my kids doing that as well when they've lost pets.
1: Oh, so you've lost pets like later on also. Yeah. What's with the letters thing? Can you speak on that?
2: Doesn't everybody do that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, see, I was just going to say, that might have been normal
1: for you. That, yeah. that might have been normal for you.
0: But there's a large segment of the population that doesn't do that. I mean, that just, you know, maybe takes their dog or pet to a, uh, you know, hospital and gets them put down or, you know, just uh, gets rid of pets any way they think is fit. But I think that is a, not an especially unique uh, circumstance, but it's still a, a special enough that, you know, yeah. it's different.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's, what are the letters always about? They're always about love. They're always about loving memories and and hope, right? And when the kids are young enough, they write they, they draw pictures, which are usually about love and hope as well.
1: Do you so when your kids drew yours, do did you read them or is it like a secret kind of letter?
2: Oh no, we would have read them, but <laughs> i so <laughs> oh, So that's why I'm thinking. I never paid attention.
0: Well, you know what? And from my learning about grief, because I'm, I'm learning as well, I'm learning a lot about grief. I'm learning a lot about uh, children's grief. But it seems to be a, an important thing that when kids are young, to kind of get involved in the process. And especially something like a funeral, that is a process, that is a, a, a ritual that you guys are doing. You know, you're giving letters, and who knows how much that would have helped shape your kids' future. From, from those experiences, and even yours personally, like your personal experience could have been shaped
1: just, just by that start.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting. I find this whole thing so fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny, like when you start going back in time, you start seeing the clues, as you're saying, about the pieces that were put in the place for you to be able to write something so beautiful. And I said, like, you, like, I never wrote anything. I had a I had goldfish die I had turtles die as a kid my dad buried them we didn't throw anything in there it was just a shoebox throw them in there yeah and my dad died i didn't have a letter i put in there or anything so it's very unique and then here you are writing a book and so uh, we just had actually someone on the podcast uh Eileen sorry Eileen and she talked about the the power of just writing down your stories or writing writing letters to the deceased loved one and i think that's really what you're doing as a kid and so you're expressing a lot of your emotions and stuff And even steve morrison said the power of you know kids doing stuff like that actually has a huge benefit for them in their grief journey so you know i think you said like you never had any these, these crushing losses but it's probably because you're okay with people dying like the death process in general because of what you went through as as children and for a lot of kids we don't deal with anything to do with loss till we're much older mm-hmm. We, we, Very don't even, interesting. we don't even kill our own meat, you know, so like we, death isn't really part of our society, but it was for you.
2: Yeah. You know what? You just made me think of something, though. Not so much about death, but I remember having one moment when I was maybe eight or nine years old where I just couldn't sleep because I couldn't understand the phenomenon of we're in a house in a town. Yeah. In a city, like yeah. in a province, on a world floating around in the sky, like, what is it all for? Like, what does it matter? And I had this intense, like, breakdown at this young age of one. I just don't get it. And the best description of it is that important, here's a who. Like, the whole idea of there's like, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but it still is all life.
0: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting thought. I've I've had those thoughts as well, and especially when I was younger, I had those, and then get a little scary because <laughs> you zoom out. Because I always use imagery of me zooming out, so I'm zooming out from my own little destination back up, 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 up to where I'm like on the moon, looking down at the Earth, and that's a tool that I use now to make me feel better about things. Because then, when I get caught up in my own little stresses and and the daily gr- uh, minutiae of the world. I do that uh, strategy to kind of make me feel better. Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So it makes me feel a little better about life, but yeah, I can, I can understand how that, that being a a very interesting, scary kind of uh, thought for kids. And, And that's, that's kind of childhood, right? Like you have all these things that happen, real things happen. And sometimes real thoughts come into your head when you're a kid, you know, someone dies, someone passes away. These are real things. Like I remember in grade nine, I might have told this story before, but in grade nine, a friend of mine—he passed away. He got hit by a car, uh, just coming from school. Stephen Arado, and took you take his. I took his death pretty hard, uh, and I remember writing something. I wrote something down. I wrote a little. Uh, I wrote a rap, in, <laughs> and this because <laughs> you know the song "I'll Be Missing You" by Puff Daddy, which actually is a song from the police, but you know they ended up uh, redoing that song. But anyways, that song "I'll Be Missing You" it's a very sad song, but I ended up. Writing a rap to that song, and it was all about my relationship with Steve. I took that, I put it in a plastic uh bag, and I ended up um I had there was a hole in the wall <laughs> the wall was breaking down. We had a hole in the wall, and I put it in the hole and in between two other walls, so I don't know I, it still might it still might be there in one of my old houses I lived in. but anyways, writing that for me. Was important and it was also a way i could actually talk to steve without him being around i knew he would get that message and i know he would he would have felt that but um it's amazing when you're a child you still feel things you're still even though you know life is great you're running around you know everything's all fun and dandy obviously i don't have kids (laughs) like but but uh you know kids think of serious things too and and it's 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 critical for them i think to kind of learn about these things and again we go back to your book this type of book is invaluable for some, for a child to go through because you're talking about things like you know there's you have power inside you there are challenges in life you know and you can overcome them this is amazing this is an amazing lesson for any child to have so again it's, it's great that you have this book and and you're sharing it with the world
2: Thank you. I feel like it's a pretty great thing for me to get to to meet people and talk to them and, and get to share. It. Like it's nothing I could imagine that I'd like doing more than this. Pretty cool. I was thinking while you were talking, you just said you knew that your friend knew what you wrote. Right? Yeah, like it you was just knew it. Uh, so, yeah. So so what's what's I've got two daughters and and they're, they're both very similar, but one thinks a lot more like me than the other, even though we all kind of are on the same path. But the one who's like not quite the same. She said to me one day, even if none of this is true, it makes my life so much better. I'm just going to believe it anyway. <laughs> I thought, wow. So if you can think something and believe it, even if you don't know, if you totally believe it, but you make your life better, then why not do it? Kind of like you when you when you pull yourself off to the moon and you look back. Why not?
0: That's a very uh, mature line of thinking. That's a really smart way to think about life because that's it's true, isn't it? Like, you know, we we, we're so self-doubting and we're so like kind of in our own worlds, but it's really about that's what dreaming is about. That's what setting up goals is about. Like, if you really you put it down on paper and if you believe it in your head, if you try to work towards something like it can come about. It's surprisingly how things have a way of working, uh, working out and, and kind of working the way that maybe you don't want it to work that way or you didn't think it would work that way, but it ends up working out anyways. Um, so yeah, the kids, kids are incredible. Mm.
1: And so, uh, do you, I know it's, uh, a little ways back, but, um, do you remember as a kid ever dreaming of any of those deceased pets or recently after your your own, uh, pets have died? I
2: don't, no, I don't. I'm not good at remembering my dreams either. I'd like to remember them more.
1: If only we had a story that we can give to you.
2: <laughs> only. I think I'm going to get a lot of help from this, this time I have with you.
1: Yeah, well, there's different ways to increase your dream recall. And one thing is writing them down when you have them and talking about them and valuing them. And so by doing that, your mind will start believing that they're meaningful in some way. And so that's one, one thing you can do. Um, so have you ever asked your children if they've ever dreamt of any of the pets that have died? No.
2: I don't talk about dreams. I haven't, but I'm, I'm sure my life is going to change now because I'm, I am really interested. But no, it hasn't been a big part of my life, but I, I find it interesting and I plan to change that.
1: That's great. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you know, with your kids and pet loss is a big one. And I've seen a lot of dreams that they can have that can be comforting or discomforting. And that's sort of the reason why we asked, because if we can help them, um, that's amazing. And if it's comforting them, well, now you're knowing something that's actually helping them as they move forward in the world. Hmm. All right, so uh, we're just going to be wrapping up the podcast. So the last question that we always give our um, the uh, the people is: if you could have a dream of someone who's passed, so maybe when your the pets have died, uh, what dream would you want to have tonight?
2: Actually, no. I would like to dream about my grandparents that I didn't get to know. And I would like to know more about them. I would like to be able to talk to them, oh, go so for never, a walk with them.
1: Oh, you never actually seen them?
2: Well, not since I was like maybe two or three. But I've often, you know, they they people say if you could have one conversation, who would you want to have it with? And they say all these famous people. And it's like I kind of like to know the people who were part of bringing me into the world that I never never got to know.
1: Yeah, I'd and see some.
0: Know. Hopefully, see some similarities. You know, like because obviously we get things from our parents, we get things from our grandparents. It's just how uh life works, so there might you know maybe your grandparents had uh, a passion for something that you share as well um so so you never got to meet or sorry you met them very early, but after that you didn't have a relationship with with uh your grandparents at all.
2: they passed away when I was very young, like I was oh, um yeah, yeah yeah like
0: three
2: and five, and you know they're from a different culture, and my dad's an only child, so I'd like to know like what was my dad like like all the things that only he can answer that no one else can answer so it's like they took all this all the stories with them mm-hmm. i'd love to know some of those stories
0: that's amazing so let's let's place uh let's put a setting to this where would this uh where would you want this dream to take place
2: on my farm where where i grew up
0: excellent and so they've never been to that farm
2: they were uh, there's pictures of them holding oh, they me were at the as, farm. as okay. an infant mm-hmm.
0: And what, uh, what would you guys be doing and wearing?
2: We'd be walking outside, and it would be fall. And, yeah, just jeans. Jeans and T-shirts and sweatshirts.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And how old do you want them to be? And how old do you want to be?
2: Oh. Well, I want them to be as young as they, I would want them to be, like, in their maybe 60s, and I would want to be now. Okay. Like I want to be close to the same age as them.
1: Oh, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. And did they have something that they like to wear? Like what's like what's something you would picture them in?
2: Mm, yeah, I think they were they were they were foreigners from Ukraine and Poland, so they would be wearing like something very European of those of that day, right? Early seventies.
0: Early seventies. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, thick pants maybe a fur hat <laughs> no they weren't hippies
2: <laughs> oh that's funny you know, no they'd be wearing very traditional like all the pictures we have of them they're very stoic and no one smiles in pictures i would like to see them smile actually that's okay there's any pictures of them smiling
0: well i th- i think if you had a dream of them i don't i, I don't see them not smiling
2: <laughs> I, I think they'll smile too yes
1: yeah, it's an amazing dream. It's amazing to thank you for sharing that and and sharing so much of your journey with us today. I think it was it was a fun episode, and I learned a lot about you and 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 your passions and how you approach life. And I think a lot of people can learn from your stories and from your book. Um, and so, can you tell people where once again where they can find it?
2: Yes, so it's on the website. Um, you can get the direct link in case um, you don't have it now. But it's choose. As in, make a choice, choose 2 to choose dot today. Um, if that doesn't work, you could search Melissa Lyons, I will always love you, and it should take you there as well. So, if you, depending on where you are in North America, you can find it on Amazon in Canada and the United States, and hopefully, as, as time goes on, there'll be more and more local bookstores and, and gift stores.
0: Amazing. And so what people, you know, what people can expect with this book is essentially, I'm going to read, actually, this is a perfect thing right here. Um, This is from a palliative care nurse. And she says an incredible book for anyone who has lost someone close or in the midst of losing someone, a powerful message that we will all eventually need to hear. And uh, that alone, it hopefully gives you a good understanding of, of how important this book is and how great uh, it is. And we didn't even talk about the images and how um, beautiful the pictures are uh, really awesome stuff uh, from your illustrator. Um, but yeah, and here's another one. Uh, please help get this story into the hands of those who need it most. So, you know, go out there, re- reach out, try to get the book. And, uh, you know, it's for anybody, really all walks of life. And uh, I think people are going to really enjoy it. Um, so, Melissa, thank you very much for your time. You really enjoyed it today.
2: Thank you. This is wonderful. And can I just also add that there is a journal as well. It comes in the book form with the illustrations, but there also is a journal that people want to take the journaling to the next level with this story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We see the picture here. Um, There's a beautiful, another, again, a beautiful book to go along with your already beautiful book, which is, you know, that's amazing. Please, we encourage everybody to write down um, their thoughts and especially, uh, you know, about their wishes and dreams and whatnot, and and this is a great thing to have um, with their book. Um, so please check out our platform at GriefDreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Uh, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. And yeah, we love to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you.